Hi, I'm Sanera Madani, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a billion dollar business. Yes, a billion dollar business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit 1 million in revenue. And I became obsessed on a mission to change that. I believe that there is so much gatekeeping in business knowledge and that we as female entrepreneurs should be learning from other female founders and leaders who have broken the statistics. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way, but you shouldn't have to because we believe that you deserve to have it all. And honestly, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Hey everyone, it's Sanira here. CEO School is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are part of a family of shows designed to help professionals listen, learn, and grow by providing access to the world's leading B2B podcasts like Being Boss, hosted by Emily Thompson. Being Boss is an exploration of not only what it means, but what it takes to be boss as a creative business owner, freelancer, or side hustler. I recently enjoyed listening to Emily share her five top tactics for achieving a good work-life flow, whatever that looks like for you. Listen to Being Boss wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CEO School's monthly fireside chat inside of the club, and welcome to our incredible fireside chat guest, Melissa Bentivoglio. Melissa is the CEO and co-founder of The Frame, the first at-home, digitally-connected Pilates reformer. Melissa is a classically trained ballet dancer, a renowned Pilates and fitness instructor, and a mother of three. She credits her dedication to Pilates having changed her life after years of elite level performance. In 2018, she designed her own proprietary reformer for her own studio. By launching Frame, she hopes to make Pilates more widely accessible and available so that everyone has a chance to improve their quality of life just like Melissa did. Melissa and Frame have been featured everywhere from Women's Health to Goop to Forbes and so much more. And I'm so excited to pick her brain on building a massive company, a physical product in a space that's pretty saturated and how she's creating a space that is a new category, but in a category where we're all looking to really redefine our health wellness, and all of that. And I'm so excited to welcome Melissa to the show today as well. Melissa, welcome to CEO School. Thank you so much. That was, you crushed that intro. (laughs) I am so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. And you did an amazing um, job on my last name, Bentavolio. Bentavolio. You know, because my um, executive assistant, Michael, he has a silent G in his name. It's it's, uh, Piliavento, and there's, it's P-I-G. And so, I mean, I I've, I think names are really, really important. So it's so it's I try my best because people always butchered my name, Sanira, my entire life. My last name, my maiden last name was Rematula, which is like 11 letters, hard to say. And even forget that, like even my name, Sanira, it's very phonetically like it's S-U-N-E-E-R-A. But people still would call me Serena, some, like all everything in between besides just like reading my name and like taking a minute to like say it. So I think names are important. Amazing. Well, you did a fantastic job. Well, thank you. Well, Melissa, I'm so excited to have you today. I want to first just learn about your story. So you were a classically trained ballerina and then you created this product. Tell us about your journey. And I'd love to understand what is the frame so our audience can kind of like picture it in their heads because I'm online on the website and I actually recently just told a friend that I'm dying to learn Pilates. It feels really scary to like, I've never, I've been to one Pilates class, but I, and I work out, but Pilates is just not a thing that I've done. So I'm curious as to what the reformer, what, what your reformer is and your journey. Amazing. Okay. So we'll start with the journey. Um, as you mentioned, I uh, am a classically trained ballerina. And from the time I was four years old, I was a dancer. And that was just who I was. Um, and athletics has always been something that like naturally inclined athletically, obviously. And when I was um, 17 years old, I actually fractured my pelvic bone. And I was actually rehabbing it. And that's my that was my initial introduction to Pilates was Matt Pilates. 
and it was um, it was kind of like this evolution. You'll notice a lot of dancers, professional dancers, they find their way to yoga and Pilates. There's like this seamless transition. Um, and a lot of dancers actually utilize Pilates while they're still professionally dancing. So I had discovered Matt Pilates and I decided I want to do my certification. And then I became a regular um, personal trainer, fitness instructor. And I just loved everything about like from the foundational perspective of Pilates. I loved, um, I love like the long lines and the incorporating the different sequences. And I love that it keeps, I get bored easily. Um, I love that it keeps your mind active and engaged the entire time you're doing it. Because one thing I've always struggled with is the ability to do cardio. Cardio and me are like, I can do it if I'm running outside, but like to jump on a treadmill, a little bit of a struggle. I get bored. I, I hear you. TV. I don't watch TV. So I find like anything a little um, tedious to be mind numbing. So for me, Pilates, like when I'm doing a Pilates class, I am so engaged, not only like from a physicality perspective, but also my mind is so engaged that um, I'm actually, I've been touting that there's all these statistics coming forward that Pilates not only like is amazing for your body and we know about the longevity and the low impact, but it's also so we're looking at it from a physiological perspective and it's creating like new neural pathways. I'm also a psychology major. That's what I studied. So I love that there's this new sort of like intertwined correlation and research is coming out. And I've always been somebody who's like, yeah, this makes sense because you're mentally engaged the entire time. I love it. I definitely like, it sounds like it's perfect for me because I hate working out. I don't like cardio. I feel like I have to do all the things. And honestly, I've tried almost everything under the sun. I think I had one, I was just telling Carlina's story right before coming onto the, sh uh, the show here because I went to a Pilates class with my sister-in-law in New York City about a decade ago. And I was not, I'm not in bad shape. Like I'm not a, like, I'm not super athletic or, you know, but I'm not in bad shape. Like I can, I can hang. Uh, and I went to this Pilates class and I felt like the instructor was so mean and he wouldn't let me drink water. And it was like, so was it was like, like a, was it a mega former class? <laughs> I probably, I think so. It was just like this really mean instructor. And she like was so obsessed with this class. So I was really excited to go do it with her. And I don't think I ever even told her on like, I was like, this is like such a not fun experience. Like I was just going, I was like visiting New York. I'm like, oh, let's go take like a really cool New York city workout class. Cause I love to go to go do soul cycle when I'm there. Just a live stuff is just a different energy in New York city. I'm obsessed with New York. And uh, I was like, this instructor was so mean to me. And he was like, I was not doing it correctly, but it was my first time on a reformer. So it was a hard class. It was my first time on it and it was complex. I could have learned it, but I didn't, I wasn't taught, like I wasn't being instructed, I believe in like the best way. And I was like trying to figure it out. And then I took a break twice to go grab my water bottle and he like lost it. He was like, you need to come back. There's no water breaks. And I'm like, okay, okay, all right. So I think I have to definitely give it another shot. And then I just never went back to it. I just like stuck to yoga. So the thing about Pilates, Pilates is practiced in a plethora of ways. So you're describing what I would say is probably like a mega former class, SLT, um, maybe even like a solid core, which they can be really, really intense and often feels like a Barry's boot camp of Pilates. Did it feel okay. like that? Like you can't yeah, drink was, water and you can't yeah. stop. <laughs> no, you can't stop. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually tend to be like very boot camp in the way I instruct, but I also think that you're hitting on something that is something that propelled me when I was initially doing my first reformer design. It was for studio. We can get into that later, but my subsequent design was at home and I felt that there was this niche in the market that was entirely untapped and that I had the idea to exploit it. And not only was I going to exploit it, but I was going to be the pioneer. I was going to be the first. And I actually constantly said to my investors, there's this huge intimidation factor in the yeah. Pilates world that nobody talks about. But so many of, um, let's say like my clients that I had for years, I would talk to their husbands or I would talk to some of their other family members and they'd be like, oh, we're too scared to do Pilates. Um, because it looks like a dance routine sometimes. It's really complex and it's 
it can be very intimidating, particularly when you step into a group fitness class. I had a studio, I had 16 reformers and the, let's say, you know, one exercise is on average one minute. You have 60 seconds to get into the exercise. The instructor oftentimes is on a microphone walking. There's music. There's a lot going on. People are looking to the left. They're looking to the right. They're trying to get in proper form. They're oftentimes copying in proper form. And they have no confidence because it was like, oh my God. So yeah, you're describing my exact experience. Yeah, of course. Because I taught in group fitness for years, you know, over a decade in Toronto. Canada and in a lot of these studios very similar experience to what you're um, discussing and oftentimes like unless you can afford a one-on-one you group fitness there's that um, propensity for injury just because you know you're 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 trying to keep up with everybody else in the class as opposed to just working out from a more intuitive you know you're not really listening to yourself you're just trying to keep up so intimidation was huge and one of the reasons why I was like we should create something for the home and when I looked at you mentioned earlier in your intro that there is oftentimes this perception of saturation in the market digital fitness um but we were very lucky because being the first to disrupt um people don't traditionally have reformers in the homes they always had bikes and treadmills gyms businesses have bikes and treadmills does anybody ever have a reformer so we're not going in and replacing something with a more novel cool elevated product which we are we're actually going to be the first you're creating an entirely brand new category that doesn't exist today because when you think about you're right like at our house we have the pelotons we're like now i'm looking at the treadmill at our office we have like a big office gym for our employees we've got the treads and we've got the bikes and we're like now looking at like people love the rower and there's like a digital rower that's in market now. We've got digital tonals in place. I have a mirror at home. So I have like the mirror. So I'm like really techie into gadgets. I like pretty much have every subscription under the sun. I'm like the subscription junkie, but I would have never thought to bring a reformer into my house because it's a brand new category. That's how do you think about like, how are you even viewing this? Well, kudos to you first. So let's take a moment, a round of applause for Melissa here, who's totally disrupting an entire industry on its head and bringing what she loves and why she believes this. She's so passionate. You could clearly tell her passion for Pilates and it works because you see Pilates studios everywhere in every major city. It's there. It's happening. There's so many variations of it. And now you're looking to really bring it into people's homes and lives. It's what's going on in your head right now, like tackling, like, how did you talk us through, take us back to like the early stages of your founding journey? Because I want you to like so many entrepreneurs that listen to the show, they're in that starting phase, right? And they might be in the scaling phase and all of that, but taking your idea and executing on it is the hardest part of the journey. How did you go from that idea to the execution? So for me, I went from a startup to a startup. So it was like perpetual startup mode for the last five years. I decided that- Startup to a startup. I love it. I know. So I started creating my first uh, proprietary reformer back in 2018. I sought out one of the best industrial designers at the time. He was actually one of the original Peloton um, industrial designers. And I thought to myself, there's like in the market of Pilates- we, if I didn't want to license something that was already in existence, if I didn't want to be a, um, a, a mega former or solid core or balanced body, there was nothing on the market that really satiated what I wanted to do. I want always, I'm looking for that elevated experience. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'm going to just design my own. And everyone thought I was crazy at the time. And it was my very first time in dust, like, engaging with an industrial designer and having a vision and then seeing it come to fruition and the prototyping phase, it was really intense. I think that everything happens for a reason. Um, I have a huge like spiritual side and I do think that it was we serendipitous. We do too here at CO school. So we believe in all the good energy. Yeah. So I think that things happen for a reason. Um, and it took me two and a half years to, I fully gutted a space. I curated every aspect of my studio because I wanted this elevated experience. Um, I created my own proprietary reformer. It took two years. It was the, one of the most complicated things I had ever, um, 
attempted ever. And it was my first time in business because I was a psychology, major, a psychology major. I was always a personal trainer. I had a huge list of um, private clients in the Pilates space. I was also training in studios, but really taking on my first role as you know, CEO of my own business, first time, two and a half years. I opened two months before the pandemic. So of course, yeah. So I took that and I thought, you know, this is amazing. My reformers are amazing. It, two and a half years, just learning the intricacies of industrial design and prototyping and how your expectations, like you have, you have to have so much resilience when you're prototyping hardware, because often the first three versions require so many iterations that if you don't have that like resilience, you do give up. But I have, I'm going to pause you here because I mean, that sounds already hard, right? That's super hard. Just going through this, it's a physical product. It's not something that's, you know, a tiny tchotchke that you can order and then like reprototype and reprototype. This, this is like a massive expensive machine. So where did you get the resources? Let's talk, let's go back because this must've cost thousands of dollars to go through this process. How did you fund the company initially? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. How did you fund an initial startup phase, right? When you didn't have the resources and capital, how did you even get it to the prototyping phase? So um, for my studio, it was really sort of, um, I found two investors who were my angel investors who believed, who actually were my clients. Um, I taught them Pilates. Uh, they knew that like at the time I was one of the best instructors in um, Toronto and I was in all the, the studios and my classes were selling out weeks in advance. And I said, I have this idea to open up my own studio and I'd love to turn it into a chain, but I would, re I really, I want to create my own reformer um, because there's nothing on the market that really satiates what I envision to be my studio. Um, and so I raised a million dollars with two angel investors. And that is how, I mean, you always have to give up a little something in order to find that capital. You have to have somebody who believes in, in you. I ultimately think they believe in you even over the business because I agree. the business essentially is the founder and the CEO. And I created my, like my initial business plan. I didn't really know. I didn't know anything about business plans, but my father-in-law actually helped me. We spent countless hours creating like a PL and a budget and how we'd be able to, um, to do this. And, and then the more complicated aspects over that two-year period was the prototyping, iterating, and really bringing what I envisioned to life. And, and that's, that's so incredible. Hope, Congratulations on getting, no, that's, that's a yeah. huge part of the piece, right? Especially for a product that is that, um, that capital intensive, right? It's a capital intensive process. Uh, you needed that capital to get started. You had to give up equity to do so, but you put yourself on the line, right? And you were the expert. So you used yourself as that most valuable asset in pitching you there you didn't have a product to go sell you didn't have the perfect pitch deck like i find like in our community so we coach you know thousands of female entrepreneurs at ceo school it's there's always this like well i but i wish i had or i need to get or at this point and as women sometimes i find ourselves like always chasing that next perfection moment because we're not ready yet you didn't have any of that you were like your clients ended up becoming your investors which it's awesome that you had such amazing clients that were able to afford to be like that were angel investors. Not everyone's networks are um, like that, but you put yourself out there and you weren't hiding behind like, this is what I want to do. You were talking about your idea. You were sharing your ideas. And I find so often people keep their ideas stuck in their head and they're like, oh, I'm not going to share it because I don't want anybody to copy it. Or I don't want to share it because blank and blank. If you are not going to share it, you're never going to get it out there and you ask for help. So even though you didn't have the resources, even from a uh, knowledge standpoint, you're like, I've never built a PL. And you're like, who's the next person that I know that can help me build a PL? And raising your hand is so important. And I just wanted to highlight that and give you some kudos for that. That's really badass. Thank you. Thank you. So um, a month and a half, I, I, I actually opened the studio, which by the way, like it was beautiful. It was all 
curated. Everything was like handmade. And finally the reformers were in. I also um, opened up a boxing studio. So I had two rooms because I thought, okay, like fun cardio to complement the Pilates. And, um, and I actually was like selling out classes, my classes, I was turning, a, I turned a profit month one. Amazing. And my hubby at the time was like, oh my God, I'm shocked. Um, because I, you know, I did, I picked a very elite expensive area um, in Toronto and it was years of, you know, developing this product. And then the pandemic happened. But I say that I think things happen for a reason because it allowed me to pivot in a way that was so efficacious because I had already just gone through two and a half years of prototyping, iterating and creating a Pilates product that when all of a sudden I was like, oh, by the way, amidst all that creative juice, juices flowing and thinking and iterating, I also had this idea for a home version. And one of the things that really spurred that while I was working on my studio, I couldn't see all my private clients. And I had a huge roster of private clients and a lot of them were professional athletes and, and top CEOs. And I'm just like, I am so inundated. I was flying to New York um, for the industrial design meetings. I didn't have the time. And I, I was like, oh, if only I could put reformers in these clients' homes. But the ones I was creating were cumbersome. They were 11 feet couple hundred like 400 pounds they were very industrial sized and then I was like okay even if I did put because I actually did put some uh balanced body reformers in some of my private clients homes they still needed me they always still needed me they were zooming me or I was creating routines and sending them via um uh, Dropbox and it was like oh I, what what is going on and then it was like kind of having an aha moment and I started sketching the subsequent design, but I had no time to focus on it because I still wanted my initial business. Like that's what I had been working on. That was my passion at the time. That had to come to fruition. So I had this in my back pocket. Pandemic happened. And it was the first time I had taken a break in uh, two and a half years. By the way, I had a baby in, in the intro, my third. <laughs> of course, your third baby. To yeah, add so to I, add more onto your plate. Yeah. That's totally. exciting. So like the, the third actually uh, a couple of weeks before my third baby arrived, I had to fly to approve my final iteration. It was in June and um, Lee, my now co-founder who had nothing to do with the first business was like, you're not, you're not flying to approve that reformer. I'll fly and I'll FaceTime you. And I'm like, no, I have to do it. I've been iterating it's years. Nobody can jump on that reformer and know it's right other than me. So I got a special note from the doctor and flew and then actually gave birth a couple of weeks later. But it's sort of like that you, if you find a founder or somebody who has this idea and they have that passion and that determination, bank on that person because they will stop at nothing. That's incredible. So you're flying, like I can imagine you being like 37 weeks pregnant, flying to New York City and then jumping on your reformer to test it out. I have videos and pictures. It's hysterical. Anyway, so um, I had this little this little novel idea in my back pocket, and then everybody's home, and the pandemic hit. And um, I said to my partner, like my husband, um, by the way, I had this other idea, and um, he's pretty savvy in business and very entrepreneurial, and wanted nothing to do with my first studio business. Um, but I, I pitched him the idea and he was like, wow, that actually sounds like it could have some legs. I was like, well, yeah. And so him and I created our first business plan for the second, like for the home reformer for frame, the frame reformer. And, um, we, I already had all the designs. So I, I, we, we utilized those first couple months of being at home and we moved so quickly because I had. I had already done so much of the design work and because I had already engaged in industrial design, I just, it was like this, just everything fit exactly the way it was supposed to. So that's why I always feel like that initial reformer was very, very serendipitous. It had to happen in order for me to have this business. When was the last time you heard someone say, it's almost too easy when talking about a piece of tech? Probably never, right? Because tech usually isn't easy. Tech is usually too complicated too busy, and too frustrating when it should honestly be plain and easy. HubSpot CRM platform is ridiculously easy to learn, use, and love, and trust me because I use it every day. 
That's because HubSpot is handcrafted, sophisticated system designed for the way teams actually work, not a bunch of cobbled together tools that don't speak to each other. With a suite of powerful tools that seamlessly connect to your teams and customizable hubs that you can add or subtract as you grow, it's not almost too easy to use. It's easy to use, period. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Running a business is hard. Managing employees is hard. Getting customers through the door is even harder. But getting paid shouldn't have to be. This is where Stacks Payments is here to help. As an intuitive platform for invoicing, recurring billing, in-person, as well as online payments, Stacks is a one-stop hub to get you paid. What's even better? Stacks has one flat fee for the month instead of percentages you can't understand. Stop spending time tracking down customers or payment tools that fail on you. Set your automations up with Stacks Payments today. As CEO and founder of Stacks and CEO School, it's been my mission to support female leaders, founders, and CEOs. With Stacks, I'm able to do so by providing fast, easy, and affordable way to process payments every day for you. I love it. You literally use the pan because of the pandemic and all of the things that were taking place. You would not have been forced into even thinking about a pivot if that didn't take place. If all of these things didn't just happen chance like take place, the business probably would not be in existence today. And if you can do it once, I always say this, if you could do it once, you could do it again. And if you can do it again, you could do it better. And every time that that takes place, you iterate on and pivoting is so such an important part of business, especially I've seen so many times of even more when I started stocks, like what it was when I started to where it is today, nothing. Uh, there's so many pivots along the way. And so you pivoted your business into literally having a brand new startup that launched within a startup. Totally. That's why I say it's a professional startup. <laughs> so where's the frame at now? So what's taking place with frame? So frame reformer, our digitally connected at home Pilates reformer. We created the business plan. We were raising money via Zoom, which was very lovely. Um, I had said to Lee, we're going up, up against giants in a hyper growth competitive landscape. So when we were raising money, um, Tonal had just launched, yep. the Mirror was just acquired, Hydro, the connected rower, Peloton was still doing amazing things. And I said to him, like, this is the, there's, they're giants and any one of them could decide that they wanted to create a reformer. Um, but I'm going to be the expert to, to bring it to market. And I just, I just felt it. I just knew it. And he believed me. So we decided that we wanted to raise a very, very strategic seed round. When I say strategic, we literally have the biggest people in fitness backing us. Mark Mastroff, who founded 24 Fitness and sold it for a couple of billion. We have the CEO of Crunch Worldwide. We have the largest manufacturer of fitness equipment, um, arguably in the world. Um, Michael Bruno, they own Stairmaster, Nautilus, Schwinn, Star Trek, everything. <laughs> but it wasn't just capital. It's strategic capital. So in my opinion, if I were to give anybody advice, there's money is easy to find. Um, strategic money is that add value. That to me is the most important thing. Not only does it give that um, credibility, particularly when you pre-proof a concept, you have this idea, um, but you also need people to believe in you before you oftentimes have physical prototypes. And that's the most challenging time to raise money, that seed round. And um, yeah, strategic, because if they believe in you, then all of a sudden money starts trickling in and, you know, you have Mark Master believing in you and he's often referred to as like the Steve Jobs of fitness. Well, then all of a sudden everybody looks at it. It's a the first different. check. The first check is the hardest. And it's, I would say it's like the confidence check, right? I, I would say that we when we finally got our seed round, like the first check, everybody was like on the fence, on the fence. And then when you get that first name in and then it starts to like all of the coins start to fall, right? Like all the pieces fall into place. When you say, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of push back here for a second. When you say money is easy to find, I feel like I used to believe that. And I think that once you raise capital then, and you have credibility, it becomes easier for sure. But the initial round of capital, I actually don't believe, especially for women. I mean, the statistics do not show that money is easy to find for women, right? Less than 
3% still today of capital, venture capital goes to female founded companies. And it might be different in various industries, perhaps in um, beauty and fitness that that might change a little bit in statistics. But overall, from the amount of venture capital that's available to actual women founded companies that are backed with capital, that percentage is actually not increasing. And then when you look at just overall, so what are your thoughts on that? And how did you successfully go get those right strategics in place? Because a lot of the women, I see women with most incredible ideas and pitch decks and maybe not have, an, or they might even have everything in place and they're doing, they're pounding the pavement, they're at the things, but they're not even getting that opportunity to even pitch right now. What are, what is like, what are your thoughts there? How do we break that? And what did you do to uh, break the statistics? So I'm not going to negate those statistics because it's definitely more challenging for women to secure capital. Um, I can only speak to my seed round. I raised 5 million pretty quickly. Um, and I was the only one pitching in every meeting and I'm a female, although I do think that um, when, when you hear the expression, money is easy to find capital, depending on what you're willing to give up, there are many, many venture firms. It is definitely more challenging for women. And I think that, um, like one of my investors, Jacqueline Johnson, she created a fund. I think she's, and other women and other entrepreneurial women, our, they're trying to um, bridge that gap that we see by creating funds specifically allocated to females. Um, I also just think that I had a product that was so novel and obviously my pitch was amazing um, that I didn't, I personally didn't experience any of the struggle. But how'd you get in the room? Um, how did I get in the room? I like to get pretty, I know this is like kind of like, we love to get tactical here because yeah. this isn't just like, we really want to get tactical. What can, what did you do to get into the room with your first set of investors? So your pitch was perfect. Your product was novel, but how did you get in the room to pitch? Yeah. So I think it happens, as you mentioned, like it's a snowball effect. My first 10 pitches were actually utilizing Lee's network in Toronto. Um, However, we didn't end up going with that network because after four or five pitches, they tend to be, um, they actually not tend to be, they were sort of Canadian real estate families and they look at venture very, very differently. And I wasn't feeling a connect. And I said to Lee, um, I can't do any more pitches. He's like, well, you, you can't, you can't turn down pitches. And I'm like, yes, I can. I have to feel it. And I know it almost immediately. You know, if somebody... Yes, you know, has that um, not just a risky nature, but do they believe in what you're doing or do you have to convince them if there's that initial sort of like energetic struggle? Yeah, you're just going to waste your you time. Can tell, you I can tell that value and alignment. And that's something I would say that women, we have the best intuition and like always trusting your gut is so, so, so important. So I feel it almost immediately. And the first several pitches that Lee set me up with, again, they were like real estate families and real estate and venture. Eh, don't correlate that well together. Um, they're very, very different. Uh, venture can be very risky. Statistics are not on our side. Um, so I said to Lee, I, you know, I'm going to start pitching to people specifically in fitness because they'll get it. And I shouldn't have to convince anybody. And if I am working so hard, I'm going to deplete my own energy. I am not going to feel confident. And then I am not going to screw this capital. So I was like, I'm not talking to anybody more in Toronto, no more Torontonians and real estate families. And I said to Lee, do we know anybody in fitness? Okay. Anybody? And he was like, well, I went to university with this guy who his dad. Here it is. Here's the golden nuggets, everyone. Here it is. Okay. Yeah. And so we just started looking, is there any connection to anybody in the fitness network that would really see the value in what we were proposing? And again, novel, disruptive, but it was the initial, I didn't even have a prototype yet. It was like the very, very initial stages. Um, and so we, we did, we found some connection. It was like third degree of separation. And I spoke to, um, I think it was Mark 
And he was like, huh, okay, I like Pilates. A lot of athletes like Pilates. I think it's one of those undercover things that so many people are doing it, but we don't really talk about it. It's not like it's not really reflected in a lot of the data for health and wellness yet. And he was like, let me, let me just make a couple calls. And then I think that just opened it up to um, more people in the fitness industry. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the fitness industry was investing. <laughs> I love it. It took that one yes, right? So it's, you don't need. And some other people found me, by the way, like Jacqueline Johnson. I didn't reach out to Jacqueline. She, she was the founder of Create and Cultivate. Do you know Jacqueline? Yes. Yeah. So she, she, she reached out to us and I noticed that, you know, you get a few strategic people and then their networks open and they make a couple calls and then all of a sudden they're saying, okay, we're going to connect you with so-and-so we're going to connect you in so-and-so. And so even if they weren't initial investors, it's, it's really just about creating that network. Even it's a though network that effect. network hadn't existed before this. I love this. Like, I love that we got here with that with these nuggets, because it's so true. Like you never know, like who's on the other side. It, it, it might not be that exact investor, but it's not about like always needing something from that person as well. Every relationship is so important because it leads to so many other things. And when you asked your co-founder, who do we know in fitness? I love that you said no for the raw, like the, it wasn't just about capital. You needed the right capital because you're right. And especially from a, for those that don't know this industry, this is a capital intensive industry. This is going to be a venture backed company. She's going to need capital. That's going to last beyond the seed Then a, then like it's going to keep going. And so she needs to get the right investor, strategic investors in place that are going to support her, not just now, but when it comes down, down, you know, the line when she's raising, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. Yes. And so relationships are what's important. And I love that you just tapped in to say, who did we even like go to school with? And it wasn't even the fanciest school or it wasn't even, and I think that's where the myth is. It's, it's really about getting creative, right. And asking, asking for help, asking the right questions and getting that one yes, or getting that one person connected to the next person, to the next person. And it takes that hustle, right. And there, there is like this hustle component. It's hustle. We somehow got in front of the, um, the son of the founder of Lululemon in like the initial stages. And he loved Pilates too, but I, I, I can't remember he, they, their check sizes were a lot larger than what we were willing to, or what was left. But again, like nobody actually knew anybody from Lululemon, but we were just like, okay, who do we know? And do we know anybody, any degrees of separation where somebody can send an email and then pass it along. And sometimes you never hear back, but sometimes you do. Also, I'm a huge manifester. I love it. I love that. I love the manifest. Yeah. I'm a strong believer. Tell me about your morning routine as CEO. So let's dive into CEO life to kind of close this off. Now that you've had the capital, the company's growing. Tell us a little bit about your day-to-day as a mom of three, scaling a business. Sounds like you're energetically just like us here at CEO School. How are you doing it all? Tell us about your like daily routines. Um, okay, so that is a complicated question because um, it's not a pretty answer. It's super hectic. We This last year has been inundated with travel, so much travel. We do a lot of our content creation and shooting in New York. We are constantly in LA. We're also in Miami. And then we also always home back to Toronto um, because our eldest daughter goes to school here. Um, But we make it work because when you're passionate about something and you really feel that what you're bringing to the world is going to change the world, you would just have, the, or I at least, I have this just innate sense that I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, in terms of like daily routine, it's always changing and you have to be really <laughs> resilient when you're a founder, particularly with something that has so many um, moving parts. Like yeah. I'll sometimes have to fly to LA for two days because we iterated on the strap of the reformer and it's arrived at Lake Forest in California and I'm in New York shooting content, but then I got to fly to LA for two days and there's a lot of fatigue involved. And I think that self-care is something that, um, sounds like cliche, but it's so important because it's exhausting being a founder. So exhausting. And then add mother on top of that. 
Yeah. Um, so you definitely have to have a lot of resources. And I'm really lucky that my mom um, allows us to do a lot of the travel. A lot of times we bring the kids, like we did an event with uh, Courtney Kardashian's Poosh in California. I slept all three of my kids there for 10 days. <laughs> um, and then she, my mom was there with us so that Lee and I could work and do everything we had to do. And we were, you know, at the plant in Lake Forest. And then we were setting up at the Poosh event and everything that um, sort of made, brought that uh, activation to realization. But yeah, just kind of being really comfortable in the uncomfortable because startup is like, not like going to an office nine to five, you, you know exactly what tomorrow is going to be like. Everything is set according to a plan. There's no real plan when mm. you have a startup because every day you're putting out little tiny fires and you have to put out these fires while still maintaining that sense of, okay, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And sometimes you want to give up. And um, that's why I said like, to sort of re-emphasize what I said in the beginning, you have to have resilience. It's probably the one most important characteristic that I would want to see if I was investing in a founder is resilience because it's not easy. <laughs> if no. it was easy, everybody would be doing it. I love this. You're like, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror um, in many different ways of I have to like, literally bring my kids everywhere. There's no perfect routine. And that's something that I'm trying to demystify because we scroll on Instagram and then we see this is what like, I don't know, a millionaire mentor is sharing like 4 a.m. CEO rises. Here's like perfect. No, like as a mother, um, as a woman, as a wife, like all like my, there's still just level of responsibility that you have in the home that no matter what, no matter how much outsourcing, mom is still like always in charge of shit. Like it's just the the chaos of what life is like. My morning is super chaotic as well. Just getting everybody off to school, traveling like crazy. And I'm also very lucky. I have my mother that lives across the street that like allows us to do the things, but we also take our kids everywhere. And this is what I truly believe in work-life integration. And it's not perfect. And it's, imperfect and it's chaotic, but it's perfectly perfect in that way. And that's sometimes that's what it takes. And you have seasons, right? So you're gonna have seasons of hard. And then you plan for like whatever seasons you can to like take care of yourself. And uh, but it's it's all the things that you talked about, Melissa. It's it's the real shit of entrepreneurship. You know, like, like, this is this is entrepreneurship, right? Like, this is like behind the curtains that nobody wants to see. I just, you know, in addition to stopping my kids and taking them out of school for the event in California, I also just had them for a week and a half in Miami because we're getting ready for an Art Basel event and I was teaching a Pilates class and we were um, customizing with this really cool artist. He was doing like his design on one of our reformers. And then we were doing an installation at the one hotel. And I said to Lee, for me to be a really good CEO, like I, I have to at least have my two younger kids who need me around and it's not perfect. And the schools hate it. And, you know, I'm often perceived as like the mom who's like behind on all the newsletters and I never know what's going on, but they're happy. And they see mm. a, a woman and a mother working her butt off to bring something to fruition. And I think that's invaluable. I think it's invaluable too. And kudos to you and kudos to all the working moms out there. Melissa, thank you for that message because I feel you. And I know many, many CEOs here listening today feel that we are always behind on this stuff. And we there's so much guilt that is like, not only our own internal guilt, but also society's guilt. I do be, I do feel like sometimes there's like two types of women. It shouldn't be working moms versus non-working moms. And it still feels, it's hard. And even sometimes like I avoid a lot of the school stuff, even if I can't, like I'm doing my best, but it, there's that level of like judgment that you feel because you're not always there for the things. But what you're doing I believe is so invaluable to your children watching and getting that work ethic. Like they're learning every single day alongside you and seeing their mom accomplish her dreams and you're doing all this for them, but it's showing them what's possible and to like uncap their potential. So 
I love this message of your imperfection here. And I really appreciate the honesty. I know I pushed you hard here to like get us through some of the things, but this is exactly what is missing in like the entrepreneurial podcast. I think like we don't get to hear this side of it and you are crushing it, Melissa. How can we support you? What is next for the frame? What do you need from this community? This community is super powerful. So when you make an ask, we are coming. Amazing. Um, so what's what's next for Frame? Um, we have filmed, and I'm really proud of this particularly because I think content's so important. And it was a huge sort of piece of the puzzle that I had. There was some unfamiliarity with, with shooting, um, production, post-production, finding amazing instructors, finding diverse instructors because Pilates, one thing we didn't really touch on is that it's taught and um, even taken in so many different ways. There's classical, contemporary, fusion, and then there's that really intense, I think you took a very intense sort of boot camp, <laughs> boot camp style that we do see a lot of the athletes doing because um, it's still low impact, but it's still getting heart racing and really challenging. So um, there was that, that, you know, that like piece of the puzzle that I was a little unfamiliar with. And obviously I have I've always been a fem- a very strong female and um, I am not quite a know-it-all and I used to perceive that title as something that was wrong, but I actually really like being a know-it-all now because I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And when I don't know, I ask. Um, so we got people who are really, really amazing. Um, and so we shot, you know, over 165 post-produced classes. They look phenomenal. Our UI was something that was so exciting for me and I love developing our user interface, user experience. We actually did that a year and a half ago. Um, so just being able to like flow through our app has been amazing. We are gearing up to ship in January. We sold over 400, over 400 pre-order reformers. So we pre-order, pre-launch, sort of like, you know, Tesla model. And there was so much appetite. We had we had to keep closing the pre-order because we didn't want to sh- we didn't want to ship too many um, in our initial because we want to if if we want to be really um, we have we want to have a close knit relationship with those first four hundred early adopters. So we want to be able to listen to them. We want to be able to ask them, "What's your experience? What would you like improved?" We want to be able to iterate in real time because I think that's what's going to make this company. Um, not only the company just that disrupts as the first, but also that has that longevity, right? We want to be around in 10 years, 15 years. We want people using the reformer forever. And then we want to just be able to continue to evolve. Um, and I'm excited to, you know, create more products. So we are gearing ship. We're full launching. Up until this point, we have not even spent a dollar on marketing. We have no, we've had no marketing. We have not even engaged in marketing. So we've only done organic. PR, which I don't know if you know the like the the huge differentiation. Like once you turn on that marketing spend, it eats capital. And we've been really, really um, we've been frugal with our capital because it's a capital intensive business, and we've been able to accomplish so many things with um, just our seed round. So we won you know, Women's Health Best Reformer 2022, GQ Best Reformer 2022, Pop Sugar, Must Haves. Um, we've had over- And you haven't even launched years. yet, right? So you haven't even launched yet. It's all just media coming in and demoing while we're shooting our content in New York. Um, yeah, but it's just like the reception's been amazing and I'm so excited for January. Amazing. So what's the ask? How can we support you? Buy a reformer. Buy a reformer. Okay, <laughs> buying a reformer. We could find you at Frame Reformer on Instagram and all the social channels. We'll be linking it uh, and it's launching. So it's here. Can you tell us? We are launching. We are full launching in January. Right now, we close our pre-order, like our personal pre-order. We're available on Goop's gift guide. Actually, we were one of the, um, uh, one of the, Gwyneth Paltrow picked us for one of her like picks. Um, which was super exciting. And um, yeah, so the, the the people who are reaching out to us like organically um, because they want a product has been crazy. So actually just funny little story. It was my daughter's 11th birthday. And it just so happens that on the day of her birthday, Dua Lipa's assistant reached out. I was like, oh, we love Frame. And I'm like, oh my God, can you wish her happy birthday? 
but you don't even have the product out yet. I think this is so incredible. I love the hype. And for those that don't know organic PR, it's just public relations. So it's all the media, right? So it's organic press and, and organic reach out. out. So you probably have, you can still have a PR team and a PR agency, but you're not paying for placement, right? You're getting organic outreach. And when you hire like a, a, it, like a proper strategic PR firm in your industry or for your brand presence, their goal is to go get you organic mentions in all of the things. And so it's so important to tell the brand story and look at the power. I think a couple episodes ago, we did the power of your story and Melissa's story is what's being told, right? The product is not even in market yet, but the design, the sleekness, like the market is ready for it. We are definitely excited to be on that launch list. We'll be sharing it with our network. We'll follow along your journey, Melissa. And uh, we just can't wait to see everyone bringing Pilates into their home. And I promise you, I will actually go, I will try Pilates again. And I will, I'll, I'll, I'll text you. I'll let, keep you posted on how this next one goes. I think I just had a bad class, bad instructor, and it kind of scared me off. Totally. And also we're going to be doing like pop-ups and activations um, in a lot of the major cities so that you can actually go and demo the reformer. Right now we have one of reformers in Showfields in New York in NoHo, like North Soho. Um, But we are looking to open and do like collabs and activations in all, are you in LA? I'm in Orlando actually, but I'm frequently in New York. So I'm East Coast. Oh, you're East Coast. Okay, cool. We're I'm like an East Coast girl. And I'm always in Miami too. So amazing. Melissa, congratulations on all the success. Thank you for all the wonderful tips on just getting in the room, getting it done, being a mother of three, not even having the product in your hands yet, but selling the dream and the vision for people to buy into your product and your vision. It's so important as a CEO and founder and you're crushing it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'll see you next week at CEO School. Running a business is hard. Managing employees is hard. Getting customers through the door is even harder. But getting paid shouldn't have to be. This is where Stacks Payments is here to help. As an intuitive platform for invoicing, recurring billing, in-person, as well as online payments, Stacks is a one-stop hub to get you paid. What's even better? Stacks has one flat fee for the month. Instead of percentages you can't understand. Stop spending time tracking down customers or payment tools that fail on you. Set your automations up with Stacks Payments today. As CEO and founder of Stacks and CEO School, it's been my mission to support female leaders, founders, and CEOs. With Stacks, I'm able to do so by providing fast, easy, and affordable way to process payments every day for you. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.